Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So in today's episode, I want to talk about post-operative pain control. And this is a very, very big topic that has changed dramatically uh, over the past decade and something to be very, very aware of. I've given lots of talks and lectures on pain and It's interesting because the most common question that I get, and I sort of have a canned answer always, is, well, well, what exactly do you use? Can you give me your protocol? And what I try to explain to people is that I have an algorithm, but it's not fixed in stone. It's not a very strict protocol because every patient is individualized. But the way that I want people to think about it and the way that I explain it to people is that if you do have an algorithm, your algorithm should be sort of middle of the road. And let patients understand that this plan that you have laid in place for them is a middle-of-the-road plan. Because for some patients, the pain may not be that bad. And this may be a little much. And then you can tailor it back quite quickly. And for other patients, this may not be enough. And you may need to increase it slightly. But this way you have the option. And I believe that's a better approach than coming in at the bottom and having to increase doses a lot for a lot of patients. And there's pretty clear data that shows that if there's uncontrolled pain early on, that can lead to more issues and problems with hypersensitization. And on the flip side, if you over-medicate everybody, you're going to have lots of potential side effects, especially when we get into polypharmacy. So the important thing that I want you to understand is when we talk about post-operative pain control, this does not begin after surgery, that this begins in the office. So first and foremost, patients need to understand coming into surgery what the pain is going to be like. I I don't sugarcoat it. I tell patients pretty much that knee replacement is probably, if not the most painful operation that we do in orthopedics. And I would rather have my patients come in with the expectation that this is going to hurt and not with the expectation that it's not going to hurt and then be surprised when it does. I'd much rather have them tell me, wow, this isn't as bad as I thought. So number one is letting them, them know that this is going to hurt. And two, that the goal of pain management isn't to eliminate pain. I always tell my patients that the goal of pain management is to make their pain bearable and manageable, that they can sleep and walk and talk and do physical therapy. And if they're comfortable and sitting there eating their meals, sitting up in a chair, and they tell me that it hurts or aches, that's normal, that's reasonable, that's expected. So somebody shouldn't, and this is important when it comes to the scripting, at no point should your staff in the office or the hospital, aim for getting a patient's pain level to zero. That's unreasonable after surgery. It should go away over time, but after surgery, you're going to have some pain, and that pain should be diminishing day by day, week by week. So that's the important part is setting up that preoperative education and expectation of what's going to happen. And then also the preoperative analgesia. So For me, this actually begins about two days prior, and what I have my patients do, and again, it fits into this idea of easy-to-remember mnemonics, unless there's a reason not to use acetaminophen, I'll have all of my patients start with two Tylenol twice a day for two days prior to surgery. So they're getting some loading dose of Tylenol coming in. Why? Well, a lot of patients are told that they have to stop their anti-inflammatories. 
And even though we tell them they can take Tylenol, what you will hear and what I hear commonly is coming in the day of surgery, I'm in so much pain because I stopped my, whether or not it was ibuprofen, naproxen, Celebrex a week ago. Well, did you take Tylenol? No, I wasn't sure what I could take, even though we explained it to them. So I really set that standard of saying, you're going to stop your anti-inflammatories a week ahead of time, but you can take your two acetaminophen twice a day for two days. So they're coming in with the loading dose. The next thing is that in the preoperative area, my cocktail currently, you know, consists of an anti-inflammatory along with acetaminophen, along with gabapentin, along with an anti-nausea agent. And in most patients, except if they're very naive to narcotics or older, I'll use 10 milligrams of OxyContin in addition to a adductor nerve block given by anesthesia. So we've started that pain control scenario way before the actual surgery begins. And that's part of postoperative pain control because when you look at studies and you look at pain thresholds, if you can decrease the sensitivity and cause this block of these nociception fibers prior to the surgical insole, the pain levels after surgery never get as high. Now, even when we started with blocks, it was pretty common. We would do surgeries and then in the recovery area or in the operating room after surgery, do the block. So you were getting good post-operative pain control, but you weren't blocking before the actual pain began. So that preoperative pain management protocol actually helps the postoperative pain management. Now, in the hospital, um, so my typical postoperative regimen for most patients is 1,000 milligrams of acetaminophen every eight hours. This is scheduled. Now, if I have somebody in the hospital or at home that is having increased pain with that, I will increase it to a Q6 hour regimen. So that's keeping it that 4,000 milligram dose a day. And I have patients limit this to only for three days and then try to get back to the Q8 dosing. Now, when they go home, that acetaminophen dosing will continue for two weeks, and then I have them go to 500 every eight hours for two weeks, and then I have them go down to twice a day for a week and then once a day for a week. But again, with each individual person, they might wean quicker or they might add depending on how they do. So that's the Tylenol dosing, starting at 1,000 milligrams three times a day, continuing that for two weeks, then 500 three times a day for two weeks. Obviously, if they have liver disease or other issues, you may have to not use that or modify that for the particular patient. Now, as far as anti-inflammatories, I prefer not to use things like ibuprofen due to the bleeding risk. Um, I do know some people that use Tordol, which is a great drug, um, but for the combination of both an anti-inflammatory and minimal risk of bleeding, my preference is Celebrex. So I'll start that in the hospital. They'll do 200 twice a day. So they get 400 pre-op the day of surgery. The following day, they start at 200 twice a day. And then when they go home, they'll go to 200 once a day. And I have them continue that for two weeks and then as needed. But if somebody has an acute flare-up, whether or not we use the Tylenol first or the Celebrex first to increase that or both at the same time will depend on the person and their response and their complaints. But using the acute pain dosing at any point in that early postoperative period of 200 twice a day for 72 hours and then back to once a day is helpful. The next thing is gabapentin. We start with a 300 milligram loading dose. You know, and there's some data that shows it's benefit and not benefit. You know, we use it at a pretty low dose. Um, so I'll start with 100 milligrams three times a day. I do believe there is some type of placebo effect there. 
um, in the sense that, you know, when you give a patient in pain medicine in pill form and, you know, let them know here, this is for pain and this is for anti-inflammatory purposes and this is for other pain and this is for nerve pain, you know, there definitely is this effect that you get from taking those medicines um, and the risks are low. Now, in older patients, I pretty much eliminate that before they go home. I'm always concerned about the dizziness, fuzziness, lethargy. In some patients, they may continue it for a week. Um, In some patients, if they're having a lot of pain, we may even increase it. If some patients get the benefit from it but are having daily side effects while they're awake, we might transition it to just 300 at bedtime, which also helps them sleep. So there's that combination of Tylenol, anti-inflammatory, and then the gabapentin. And I always explain to patients, and when I lecture on this idea, it's the idea of a Venn diagram, that pain is the intersection of all of these circles. You know, and these circles are inflammation pain, there are pain receptors that Tylenol helps, the nerve pain, and there's other issues too, the mu receptors. Um, but what's interesting is that each of these things can play an effect on the overall pain syndrome, but you don't want to overdo it in just one circle of that Venn diagram because that then increases the chance of side effects of that one drug and does not really assess all of those other pain fibers or pain receptors. And there are some positive secondary effects too. There was a study that I saw that was quite interesting that when everybody went to this scheduled acetaminophen, post-operative fevers were reduced in those patients. You know, if you think about it, how many times you used to get phone calls, patients running a low grade temp, 100, you know, 100.8, maybe 101, you know, all believed to be atelectasis, don't suspect uh, infections, so you're putting them on acetaminophen, but adding the acetaminophen from the beginning lowers that post-operative fever issue. Um, and then with pain, you know, and this is the way I explain it to patients is that these are the things we're doing for pain. We have Tylenol, we have Celebrex, we have gabapentin and ice. Ice is extremely important. Um, there are lots of studies that you can review out there on icing and icing machines and icing techniques. And we have icing machines that patients can purchase at the clinic Um, But what I see and what I explain to my patients is that I don't necessarily see a huge benefit in my individual patients with ice machines. However, when you drop down cash for an ice machine, I find that those patients are more apt to use it on a more regular basis because they invested the money in the machine. So if someone has an ice bag or ice packs, as long as they're using it regularly, I find that it lowers pain. It decreases inflammation, it decreases swelling, and the wounds overall just look good. Um, And then physical therapy and range of motion. You know, this is another important aspect to the control of pain after surgery. You know, and you see this with arthritic patients. Oh, it hurts, oh, it's stiff, but once I get moving, it loosens up and feels better. And you'll hear the same thing from patients after surgery. It's really painful, it's very stiff in the morning, but once I get moving, it actually feels better. Great, keep moving. Once you sit for a half hour, hour, two hours, it stiffens up and it causes more pain. So if you can keep it loose, that's the key. But the other aspect of the physical therapy and range of motion that I see, in my opinion, is that the more motion people get, the less pain they have. And it is a chicken and the egg sort of discussion where somebody could say, well, yeah, that person got more motion because they had less pain. I don't believe that's true. I I really believe that as people get more motion, they actually get less pain. And the reason I say that is, you know, I'll see patients where I stress the importance of early range of motion and those people that have great motion all have a shorter, faster recovery with less pain. But when I do see that outlier that at two weeks or three weeks is having a lot of issues with pain and stiffness, 
The phone call that you get from the therapist is the person's not moving. The phone call you get from the patient is I'm in pain. And when you see those patients come in and you reiterate the importance of pain management, pills, icing, range of motion, and therapy, and getting that knee moving on a regular basis, what I miraculously see, no matter how much pain they have, is that they'll increase their motion, you know, 5, 10, 15 degrees, and then all of a sudden the pain's gone or diminished. So that's really, really important. Um, And then the last thing as far as a medication or modality that I use on a regular basis then is Oxy. So um, I... I was really early on in the going away from Oxy to a kind of polypharmacy scheduled non-narcotic protocol. Why? Um, The reason is that I remember the days when I used to give a prescription for 150 Percocet, and it wasn't uncommon. And my nurse and I had a way of keeping track of one another because if the first one was 150, the refill was 120, then 90, then 70, then 50, then 30. And then usually by then, patients were off of it. So this way, no matter if we talked or not, we always knew how many refills a particular patient got. But what I did see is I saw people get addicted. Um, I saw people get severe constipation. I mean, these are grown adults that were coming into emergency rooms and being manually disimpacted. But I remember over the years, three patients that developed such severe constipation that they developed a perforation of their bowel. And post-op, after, you know, joint replacement surgery, a complication of bowel perforation due to the use of narcotics and constipation, this resulted in a colostomy. Um, And, you know, it was those issues and episodes, and you talk to these patients about how they'll, you know, describe just how severe the constipation was, that I started to recognize that, you know what, I really need to get rid of these narcotics. I got to find some way. And... Early on, you know, I was blasted. Oh, it's polypharmacy. Oh, you're going to kill their liver. Oh, you're going to kill their kidneys. You... But the way that I looked at it is if I'm using a little bit of all of these drugs and I'm weaning them down, um, the risks of those drugs, I believed, in my opinion, was less than the overall risk of these heavy-duty narcotics. And what I also found was people are interesting because when you give them 150, 150 narcotic pills, what you'll notice is everybody always uses them until they have just a few left. You know, you'll hear this. The mentation of these patients is they're always fearful of, well, I didn't want to use them all up. So at the end, I always saved a couple just in case. And what I also try to explain to people is that if you're taking two or three or four pills a day, is that you should be seeing those pill dosings or numbers of pills per day come down because your pain is going down. You know, if somebody after surgery is taking the same amount of medicine at week one, week two, week three, as their pain level is coming down, this is the thing that leads to addiction because it changes the biochemical sort of response. You're developing a tolerance because you don't have the need for the medicine because the pain has gone down or gone away. And this is where patients can run into trouble. But what I noticed is as I decreased the number of pills that I gave, patients continued to use less. And when they would always get to the end, those last few pills, they would always save a couple. Whether or not you gave them 70 or 50 or 30, patients always kept a couple in reserve. Um, So it got people off of it early. And I I let people know now, at the time of me talking to you right now, my current regimen for knees is I give out 30 of the 5 milligram Oxy-IR tabs. Um, And I have patients break them in half 
You know, I always tell them, even if you need to use it, again, after you used all the other stuff and you have severe pain, take a half a pill, reassess in 30 to 60 minutes, and then take the other half. Don't take a full pill. Don't take two pills because then people get nauseous and it just lets you know that the pain wasn't that bad that they needed that high of a dose. So start with a small amount. You can always add a little bit more, but I'm very shortly going to be looking at decreasing this to 20. And I really find that 90% of patients, you know, don't even need 30 because you're doing all of this other stuff. Um, so that's sort of the regimen for most patients. Now, the one asterisk that I'm going to throw out there, and, and these are the patients that you can almost pick out. Um, these are the ones that you see in the office and you just have real concerns for post-operative pain and pain control. You know, these are patients where their pain or their subjective complaints just seem to be way worse than their objective findings or their x-rays. Um, or they have, you know, the multiple allergies or the history of fibromyalgia or history of chronic regional pain syndrome somewhere else. And there's other psychological and psychosocial issues that may make you concerned that this patient may be predisposed to other issues with pain post-op. So I find it's really important to let patients know, you know, what you're seeing and what you're expecting, just so you understand that, you know, you may have, you know, more pain than your neighbor. Um, but if that's the case, these are the options. And, you know, there's lots of things that I've used over um, the year. So for some patients, you know, it's an anxiety related thing. And you can talk to patients about looking into, you know, these apps that work on breathing and mindfulness and meditation, um, doing something to distract the brain. Um, you can use music. You know, a lot of things have been shown that, you know, music can be helpful in finding some soothing music that helps lower the anxiety, you know, lower the heart rate, lower the stress, lower the pain, lower the, the symptoms that they may be getting. These are all things that patients should be trying and experimenting with prior to surgery. You know, I've had patients that are into things like Reiki and acupuncture and other types of, you know, chakra stuff and crystal, anything I find that makes them feel better as long as it's not invasive around the area of the knee where you could potentially increase the risk of infection or a wound complication, I believe is totally fine. Um, these are things that are really helpful. And on rare occasion, um, I will use some of these um, anti-anxiolytics, you know, the, the Xanax and things like that. And, and it's interesting. I mean, these are patients whose pain is the complaint. The pain level is quite high. You didn't give them more narcotic. You give them something for anxiety and the pain level diminishes. So this is not that they're not in pain. But this is this fear or anxiety component, which is stimulating the nervous system, which is generating that symptom that they perceive as pain. So it's not that the pain is not real. It's that it's being exacerbated by this other thing, um, which is inducing this pain syndrome. And the goal, you know, at the end of the day is to make these patients better and to allow them to be comfortable and allow them to do physical therapy so that they can get a good outcome. Um, but it's a whole package it's not one pill, it's not one algorithm, and it needs to be modified for the individual patient. But you need to have a path that you can begin with, with everybody, and then based on the individual patient, increase or decrease or modify based on their symptoms, side effects, or response to those medications. So I hope that's been helpful just to kind of give you an overall gist of my way of treating the post-operative pain. Um, thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Um, if you think this would be useful or helpful to one of your friends or colleagues, please share the information with them. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. 
You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.